Wow. So uh, we are, where are we at? You're kind of like going, there's a lot of new songs this morning. Come on. Well, we were focusing on the light of the world, and, uh, and our crew sometimes, they, they'll pull some things out that you may not uh, be really familiar with, but we do that for a reason. One is that, that uh, those songs resonate with what we're gonna, I'm going to be preaching on in John 8. Jesus is the light of the world. And just kind of a reminder of where we're at in the Gospel of John when we're in chapter 8. Jesus is about six months from his crucifixion. He is preaching every chance he gets. Uh, he's preaching about who he is. And he does it in different forms. He uses teachable moments. Something will happen, an event will occur, and then he will use that to teach the people something else about him. And if you'll remember, uh, we, could, we could go back and we could look at chapter 4 with the woman at the well. And he met this Samaritan woman at the well, and he, he, he taught her what? He, Jesus is the living water. And then in chapter 5, uh, he went to the pool of Bethesda. And he met a young man that was, well, I shouldn't say young man. He was 30, he was at least 38 years old. He had, he had been lame for 38 years, and he healed him. And he taught the world that he was a healer. He was just like his father. And then in chapter 6, you remember him on the hillside with the 5,000 that were hungry. And he, and he said, what do we have? We have five loaves and two fishes. And he broke the bread. And then he, the very next thing that he teaches on is, I am the bread of life. And then last Sunday, we, we saw him. He was at the festival, the Feast of the Booths, where they, where they came for seven days. And he came, remember, they, he said, I'm not going down to, to immediately down to the festival because the Jews are trying to kill me. And so he waited, got down there in midweek, and then on it said on the last day, on the great day, when they, when they poured out the vat of water in the temple and it ran down through the temple, once again he said, I am the living water. Anyone who thirsts can come to me. So he's using teachable moments to teach us about who he is. Well, this chapter 8 comes right after the close of the Feast of the Booths. He's still in Jerusalem. Now, one of the parts of the feast that we didn't talk about last week was every night they had these big torches in the temple. And they would light these torches and it would light everywhere. People all over Jerusalem could see it, and they, they would literally, now I know you guys are going to get a little upset with they actually danced in the temple, okay? They, they were out in the temple saying, praise God, praise God, he is the light. And, and what it represented was when they were, in, when they were coming out of Egypt, and the, and Pharaoh were coming after them. What, what happened? A pillar of light came down 
and it was darkness on their side, on the Egyptian side, and it was light on the Israelite side. And all through their journey, God was the light. The light would come down, and he said, whenever the light went up, it was time to move. And so they celebrated this light. So the people had just spent seven days worshiping around the light of God. And then we come to chapter 8. And as we read this, just for those who are... uh, little concerned about what your Bible says. Once again, we come to a passage and you'll see maybe yours is in brackets or maybe there's a footnote down at the bottom that says later manuscripts uh, give this, uh, do not contain this passage. And once again, uh, we, we look at this and we know that the church fathers early in the church accepted this as part of scripture. They said, you know what, it, it, it is what he is telling the story for a reason and he, it's included here and it doesn't, it's, there's nothing in this story that, that is told about the adulterous woman that is going to change our theology. It doesn't change doctrine, but it amplifies what he's about to say about the light of the world. Because this is truly a very dark story about this woman who was caught in adultery. So let's read it. John 8, 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning he came again to the temple and all the people were coming to him. And he sat down and began to teach them the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and having set her in the center of the court, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in adultery in the very act. Now in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. What then do you say? They were saying this, testing him, so that they might have grounds for accusing him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground. And when they persisted in asking him, he straightened up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote in the ground. When they heard it, they began to go out one by one, beginning with the older ones. And he was left alone and the woman where she was in the center of the court. Straightening up, Jesus said to her, Woman, where are they? Did not one condemn you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go, from now on, sin no more. What a story this tells us. I mean, the, the, 
Pharisees and the scribes were seeking to test Jesus in whether he would follow the Mosaic laws. And I want you to, uh, I want you to kind of get the picture here. Many, many believe that she was a prostitute, and, I, and I'll give you a couple reasons for this. You know, have you ever been to a big event? I mean, not, not the Lynn County Fair, not even our state, a big event where they, where they have thousands and thousands of people, the World's Fair, places like that. I mean, even good places, things that are good festivals. And there's always people that come to these festivals for their own reasons. Usually it has to do with this, right? It's a good place to, good place to make money. It's a good way to say, hey, there's going to be lots of people here. Uh, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You ever heard that, right? People are away from home. And they fall, in, they fall into the trap, the trap of sin. And the reason I, I believe that she was probably a prostitute is a couple things. One, the Pharisees knew where to find her. I mean, they found her, in, it says, in the very act. Now, most of us, when we think of somebody that's caught in adultery, what do we think? It, it's, it's in the dark, right? You, it's behind closed doors. It's behind... The curtain. We don't want people to see it. People run off to other places. I, I remember my mother and my father uh, were over at the coast one time, and uh, lo and behold, they, walking out of the same motel was a young lady who was married to a friend of mine with another man. And as soon as she saw him, her face went white. She'd been caught. What she thought was far enough away is never far enough away. The, the Pharisees knew where to find this woman. And it was close enough to the temple that it said they, it, they drug her in and threw her down in the middle. Can, now, can you imagine if she was caught in the very act, what does she look like? Her hair is astray. Maybe she's trying to cover up. They wanted to embarrass her. They wanted her to be seen for what she was. And they literally, it says, they threw her down in the center of the courtyard outside of the temple as Jesus sat on the steps teaching. They were right. She was caught in adultery. Exodus 20, 14. One of the commandments, what does it say? You shall not commit adultery. She was obviously committing adultery. She was caught in the very act, which means they already had eyewitnesses. She was condemned before the law. But the interesting part is, I want you to ask yourself, is she the only one? That's caught in the midst of the act. Leviticus 20 says, if there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. Now, I don't know who the man was, but they obviously didn't want him stoned. I think it was a setup. 
They knew who the man was. And they brought her down and they condemned her. And then Jesus does what? He says, He who is without sin casts the first stone. Well, and it says they persisted. What are you going to do with her? And what did Jesus do? It says he, he stooped down and began writing in the sand. And then it says he stood up and said that again, said, you are who are without sin. You cast the first stone. And then he stooped down and he wrote in the ground again. Now, I re- when I get to heaven, I really want to know what he wrote. Jesus, what did you write? Because in verse 9, what does it say? It says, when they heard it, I think the second time that he knelt down, he began to say whatever it was that he was writing in the ground. Maybe it was Pharisee so-and-so. Name the woman. Name the place. Name the date. Because he would have known. He was the son of God. Because it said from the oldest to the youngest, they began to leave. Well, we can take, there's something we need to take away from this. When you feel like judging someone, first look in the mirror. You see, these Pharisees, they were all ready to judge this woman for her sin. And Jesus was saying, okay, if you're sinless, you go ahead. And what happened? They all left. They all left. And left her there. Matthew tells us about judging. Matthew 7, 1 through 3. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eyes, but do not notice the log that is in your own? You see, we can be, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm a good Christian person. I would never do that. But Jesus looked at her and he understood the darkness that she was in. She understood that, yes, she had been caught in the middle of sin. She, he understood all of that, but he responded differently Then all of the Pharisees, now the Pharisees, remember who they are? They're the ruling men of Israel. They're the religious leaders of Israel. And they were the ones who should have had the greatest compassion, you would think. But they wanted to stone her. They they weren't even interested in following their own law, which would have been bring the the woman and the men. They were just wanted to set Jesus up. And when he didn't fall into their trap, they all leave and and were left there with the woman laying in disgrace on the ground and Jesus looking at her and she lifts her head. And when Jesus says, 
who condemns you? And she lifts her head and she looks around. And what does she see? It's empty. Just her and Jesus. And how does Jesus respond to her? First he says, I don't, they don't condemn you, I don't condemn you. Jesus showed her compassion. He looked at her and said, yes, you, you are guilty. But he says, I'm not going to condemn you. I'm going to show you compassion. I'm going to show you the love that you are seeking to find in, the, in, in a bed of sin you're going to find the love that loves you, not in your sin, but bring you out of your sin. Because the second half was that Jesus asked her to change. He said, go and sin no more. And if you look at that sentence structure in, in the Greek, it literally says, go and do not continue in your sin." Change. Isn't that what God does for us? God doesn't just want you to come to him and say, oh, I want a Savior so I can go to heaven. God says, I want you to be, I want to be Lord of your life. I want you to change. I don't want you to live in the darkness anymore. He asked her to change. And when you look at this, I want you to look at the darkness of sin Yes, we have the woman caught in adultery. And somewhere there was a man that was part of that. And that's the dark. And then when we think of the darkness of sin, all you got to do is go down to the back alleys of some of our major cities into the red light districts. We have, a, we have a, uh, one of the missions that we support is Agape International Mission. And they're in Cambodia, Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And they go into the red light district and they go in and literally, literally take girls that are as young as eight and they bring them out of the red light district. They rescue them and then they train them, they teach them, they give them, uh, they put them to school. They rescue them. And all you've got to do to see what we consider real darkness is to look there. But I want you to look at the darkness in the Pharisees also. They had unconfessed sin. He said, if you are without sin, cast the first stone. And not one of them could say, I'm without sin. The, the sin that we hide in our hearts and is unconfessed is the sin that brings darkness into our life. And they were, they were guilty by their own admission. There was darkness. That's when Jesus begins his teaching on the light of the world. Let's look at John chapter 8, 12 through, through uh, 20. When Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am don't you love that? I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, 
you are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not true. And Jesus answered and said to them, even if I testify about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I am not judging anyone. But even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone in it, but I and the Father who sent me. Even in your law it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am he who testifies about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. So they were asking him, for they were saying to him, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus tells them that darkness... Cannot, and light cannot coexist. Darkness and light cannot coexist. All right, I got the... <laughs> I got them out of order today, guys. I'm sorry. Darkness and light cannot coexist. He says, you guys are, you guys are lost in the, in the darkness. You can't even see that I am the light. And when they challenge his testimony, because what had just happened... They were using the very law that when, when the eyewitnesses, when you had two eyewitnesses, that's how they condemned this woman. She was caught in the very act. We are eyewitnesses of her sin. And they said, oh, well, you, your testimony of being the light is not true. He says, I have testimony of two men, myself and the Father. Myself and the Father. And they knew what he meant. They knew that it was the Father God that they worshipped that had testimony of him. And they had seen it. They had seen him heal. They had seen him raise the dead. They had seen him, part, they had seen him walk on the water or heard of it. Feeding of the 5,000. They knew all of these things, but they could not accept it. <coughs> you know, John, turn to uh, John First John, I want you to see how John talks about this in First John. He talks about the light. What was from the beginning? What we have heard and what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifest and we have seen and testified, proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifest to us what we have seen and what we proclaim to you also, so that you may have fellowship with us. Indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things write so that your joy may be complete. Now watch what he says about the Son and the Father in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is 
light. And in him there is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk, walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. They were walking, the Pharisees were walking in darkness. No wonder they couldn't see the light. They're walking. And that term means to continue to walk. It's not one time, one little sin here. It's that they're walking daily, continually in the darkness and they can't see him. And in verses uh, 8... In chapter 8 of John, verses 21 through 30, he talks about this. And when he said to them, I go away, and you will seek me, and will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews were saying, surely he will not kill himself, will he? Since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. And he was saying to them, you are from below, you're on this earth. I am from above. You are of this world, and I am not of this world. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am he, the Messiah, you will die in your sins. And so they were saying to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, What have I been saying to you from the beginning? I have many things to speak and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true. And the things which I heard from him, these I speak to the world. And they did not realize that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. I do nothing of my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father taught me. He who has sent me is with me, and he is not he has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. What a dark picture he paints. You will what? Die in your sins. He says, I'm going back to the Father. You know who the Father is. You've worshipped Yahweh all of your life. Your whole practice of worship is about the Father. And yet you can't even hear his truth. And if you can't believe that I am the Messiah, you're lost. You will die in your sins. Now, what do you think the, the folks thought about that? They're in the temple. Where did you go to have your sins Relieved in the Old Testament, you went to the temple. 
You brought your lamb to be slaughtered, to pay for your sins. And all, all these people are going, wow, I don't want to die in my sin. And I love the last part. And many believed. They realized he is who he says he is. He's the Messiah. But do you realize what they had to understand first? They understand a little thing that John wrote, or that Paul wrote in Romans. For the wages of sin is death. You see, a lot of us, we really like the last half of this verse. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But if you don't know that the wages of sin and death, you don't know that there's a gift. You don't know that Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins. And Jesus is telling them, you need to realize the depravity that you live in, that, that you are a sinner. And God, the Father, has said, you can't get into my heaven with sin. Darkness, what is it? What did we say early? Darkness and light cannot coexist. And the darkness of sin can never enter into heaven. It would be obliterated. Ephesians tells us about this. I had a really interesting talk the other day. I teach a couple of Bible studies in a couple of the Brookdales down here. And Chuck, where's Chuck at? Chuck teaches Wednesday. He goes right next door over here to Brookdale. And we have the opportunity to, to share Bible study with these folks. Uh, where's Kathy at? She's around here someplace. There she is, right up front. She's one of my Brookdale gals from down at Heritage. And we just have, are over here at Gary Street. And we have a good time, don't we? we have, so we do these Bible studies. And one of the ladies afterwards, she's new there, just moved in. She says, do you believe in grace? And I said, absolutely I believe in you mean, you, you don't believe in having to work your way to heaven? I said, no, there's no way I'd never make it. I couldn't work hard enough. And we had this really interesting talk about grace. And then we brought up Ephesians 2. For by grace have you been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so no one may boast. And that's a wonderful verse, isn't it? But I want you to look at what precedes that. Ephesians 2, 1 through 7, because a lot of times we love to concentrate on grace. But look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. You were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh indulging the desires of the flesh and the mind and were by nature children of wrath even as the rest That's me. That's you. Wow. Now, 
doesn't stop there, though. But God. If you're somebody who likes to underline in your Bible, underline that. But God, because that's where we were. But we don't have to stay there. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him. See, now watch this. Don't miss this. This is where we are. Once God saves us by grace, what does he say? And raised us up with him and seated us with him. Seated us past tense. You are currently seated. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Oh, let's, we can do better than that. Amen. Amen. That's right. Somebody told me last week at the end of the service, they wanted to jump up and say, I choose Jesus. And I said, I wish you would have. You might have ignited a little fire in some folks that need to choose Jesus and be willing to say it. Because if you look at what this says, do you realize where you are right now? You're already seated in heaven. And if you're in heaven, if, if God has positionally put you in heaven, who can take you out of there? Nobody. If you, want, if you ever somebody says, well, I don't believe in eternal security, you take them to Ephesians chapter 2, and you show them where you're seated, and there ain't nobody, or there, there's not even a demon, not even Satan, can snatch you from heaven, and you're already there. You see, Jesus was telling them, this is what you were. You see, sin brings what? Death. But Jesus brings what? Life. And life eternal. He brings life eternal to each and every one of us. You see, sin has a cost. And that cost is death. Isn't that what we read in Romans? 623, it's where the wages of sin is death. It has a cost. Somebody had to pay it. Somebody had to pay it, and Jesus did. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. See, Jesus did pay it all. He paid it all on the cross. We had a debt to pay. And he looked directly at these Pharisees. Now, there was a whole crowd of people there. There were all kinds of people from all over the place that he was teaching. But then he looks at the Pharisees and, and he says this in verse 28. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Did you catch that? When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. 
You see, he was looking at those Pharisees. They were the ones that were condemning him. They were the ones who said, you cannot be the Messiah. He says, you guys don't know this yet. Yes, you're trying to kill me right now. My time has not yet come. Six months from now, you guys are going to be the ones who are going to stand before Pilate. And when Pilate says, well, what should I do with this man? You're going to say what? Crucify him. You see, the Jews didn't believe in crucifixion. The Jews believed in stoning. They would have taken Jesus out and stoned him. The only people who used crucifixion at that time were the Romans. They had to go outside of their law for this to be fulfilled. And it had been spoken of many times. John the Baptist spoke about it. And the next day, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He's going to be sacrificed. That's why John, John himself, John, John the Apostle, as he writes this, over and over he says, he's, he calls him the Lamb when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus very early in his ministry, he was talking to Jesus. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and he looked at him and he said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. He must be lifted up. Jesus said to himself, or, or said, to, uh, said to Nicodemus, I've got to be lifted up. You have to understand, this is the plan of God for redemption for the world. And then just a few chapters back, or a few chapters forward, we're going to read what Jesus had to say to his disciples, to his apostles on the night that he would be, that, that he would be betrayed, on the night that he, he gave us the Last Supper. In verse John 12, 32, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. But he was saying this to indicate the type of death with which he was to die. And the crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ is to remain forever. How can I say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? And so Jesus said to them, For a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he goes. And while we have the light, believe in the light so that you may become sons of lights. And these things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. 
The last message that Jesus speaks before he goes on his last day on the earth before the crucifixion. I am the light. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. Isn't that a wonderful message? And he says, just a little while. Just a little, little while longer you have the light. The light is among us. Walk while you have the light. We've been discussing quite a bit on Tuesdays uh, in the Go Deeper class. We've been a lot of, because we've been following the world events. And we've been talking about how close are we. How close are we to the coming of the Lord? How close are we to hearing the trumpet? I can tell you this much. The nuclear clock is three minutes to midnight. That's the world's perspective. Three minutes to midnight. How much longer will the light be with us? We need to be telling people about Jesus because the time is going to come and I can't believe it's very long from now when the trumpet's going to sound and the Lord will descend from heaven with a shout and he's going to call us up. He's, we're going to meet him in the air. I, I believe the time is, is short. He says, for a little while longer you have the light. We have to share who Jesus is, the light of the world, because there are so many that are walking in darkness. Just like we saw not just the adulterous woman, but there's a lot of people that are religious that are walking in darkness and they need to see the light. Well, the light of the world gave us communion. Isn't that wonderful? He said, he said I'm going to give you a little glimpse. I'm going to give you the light in a, in a ceremony we call communion. 